Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. We're going through the attributes of God. We're going to be going through this series through Easter Sunday, which is the last Sunday in March. And this morning, we're going to look at an attribute that if you were to ask most people to tell you one thing about God, they would probably say this. They would probably say love. He is loving, or God is love. And as we look at that together, what I hope is that we won't see the love of God as something that is simplistic, simply like God is just really, really nice, or maybe, you know, just the most loving person that we have ever imagined, but that we think of him unique in this, that God being loving or God being love means something. It tells us something about him, but it also affects who we are and how we live. And so let's look at God's word beginning with verse 7 in 1 John chapter 4. And if you would stand and follow along as I read, we'll read through the end of the chapter. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because... God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit, given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he, is, as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth, Lord. We are broken people. We are needy people. And so we ask you, Lord, to use your word by your spirit and help us, Lord, to embrace it in Christ's name. Amen. Go and have a seat. John tells us in the text, God is love. That's the attribute we are looking at this morning. Speaking of that attribute of God's love, Wayne Grudem writes this, God's love means that God eternally gives of himself to others. God eternally gives of himself to others. He gives of himself. So this attribute shows us that it's part of God's nature to give of himself in order to bring about blessing and good to others. There are benefactors 
of his love. Look at the text we just read, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, we'll talk about the implications of God's love for us and what it does and enables in us later on. But look at what it says about God in these two verses. First of all, love is from God. It doesn't initiate among us or, or just well up just from us because we have in our nature somehow figured out this loving feeling towards other people. But love comes from God. It begins exists in him for, he tells us in verse 8, God is love. God's nature is love. Love is part of what it means to be God. God is not just loving. He is love. This attribute, as we consider it, just like all of the others we've looked at thus far, is not just something that God started doing, started feeling, or initiated at the beginning of creation. When he created the world, all of a sudden he needed someone or something to love, and so he created us, he created the world, and therefore could put his love on something or someone. There was eternal love. There has been eternal love between Father, Son, and Spirit. John 17, verse 24, Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. You have loved me always. Eternal love between Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus again in John 14, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Wayne Grudem again, this eternal love of the Father for the Son, the Son for the Father, and both for the Holy Spirit, makes heaven a world of love and joy because each person of the Trinity seeks to bring joy and happiness to the other too. Just as the psalmist says in Psalm 1611, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever more. It has always been that way. The Trinity has been complete in itself, joyful in itself, ever loving in itself. Love did not begin when we became. God is love and has love. The Trinity is self-giving. And that finds its expression in God's relationship with us, sinful, broken people. Now just imagine, think about the attributes that we've discussed so far. And we haven't covered them all. But just the ones we have talked about so far in this series. God is independent. Now think about that. He is other than us. Self-existent. Has existed joyfully in himself. Not needing anyone or anything other than himself for all eternity. Independent of us, not needing us. He is eternal, has always been, always will be. He is unchanging, immutable. God was the same 
a million years ago and a billion years ago and a trillion years ago and will be the same forevermore. He is omnipresent. He is all everywhere, all present. He is spiritual. He is invisible. He is all-powerful. Now, this is all true. God is all of those things and more. Perfect in all of these attributes and more. And can we even begin as we ponder just those first attributes that he is independent, other than us, eternal, unchanging, omnipresent, spiritual, invisible, and all-powerful, omnipotent. That this same God, perfect in all of these ways, is at the same time loving. Loving. If we even begin to grasp these beginning attributes, these first attributes, we should be baffled by his love. That this God would set his love on sinful people, that he is perfectly loving, that he loves in a way that we cannot even begin to comprehend, that he is love. And we see the full expression of this. We see the proof of this in the next verses, in verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The main manifestation of God's love is Jesus. That's what John is saying. Jesus is the proof that God loves us. That this God who is self-existent, not needing us in any way, other than us, eternal all-powerful, all-present, spiritual, invisible, never-changing, that the proof that this God loves us is Jesus. Paul writes to the Romans in Romans 5, beginning with verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows, or God proves, or God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is the manifestation of God's love. He is the proof of God's love for us. If in our hearts we doubt, does God really love the world? We look to Jesus. And John reminds us in verse 10 that the aim of sending Jesus was propitiation. That Jesus came, the manifestation of God's love, to bear our punishment. The punishment that was for our sins. That he took it upon himself. And that he was the one who removes the wrath of God. That's propitiation. Satisfaction of God's wrath. Notice what it says in verse 10. The nature and origin of love is not us. We think it is often. We, we believe it is often. 
But it's not. It doesn't, it's not us. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. We would not even be able to begin to know what love is apart from God giving of himself to us. He is love and he gives love. And the great truth in this that brings us immeasurable comfort is that God's love never fails. It doesn't fail. Ours does constantly. His love never fails. You consider the fact that his love is united perfectly with his power. That he is perfectly omnipotent and he is perfectly loving and they work together in unity. And therefore, as Paul writes in Romans 8, verses 37 and following, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is all-powerful and he is all-loving. God is love. Because he's omnipotent, because he's able to do all of his holy will, we can have confidence. That's what Paul's saying. We can be sure, we can be certain that his love will never, ever fail. That nothing can separate us from his love. That he is loving. He is love. And so how ought we to respond to a God who is all-powerful, set apart, eternal, and who loves us, who gives of himself to us? How ought we to respond? Well, there are a number of ways that we can mention. First of all, we're to imitate this attribute. This is a communicable attribute of God. They're incommunicable attributes, those that God doesn't share, those that he doesn't communicate with mankind. And they're communicable attributes. The ones, these are the ones that we're looking at that God does share with us. He communicates to us. So we, we share in power. We're not, we don't begin to compare in power with him, but we share in that because he's granted that to us. In the same way, he is granted to us to love, and we ought to imitate his love in two ways. First, we ought to imitate by loving him back. We ought to love God in return because he has loved us. Matthew 22, verses 35 through 38, one of, the lawyer, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. We are to love him back. As we consider, as we ponder the love of God, as we think about the fact that God would love me, our first response ought to be to love him back. And again, this is initiated and empowered by God, not by us. 1 John 14, 9. We love because he first loved us. We're only able to love because he first loved us. 
And love is defined for us as it is for God. It is giving of ourselves. And so if we are to imitate his love by loving him back, then first and foremost, we're to give of ourselves to him. Love God with all of your heart. Love him with all of your soul. Love him with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus says. And secondly, we're to imitate by loving others the way that God loves them. We're to imitate his love by loving others the way that God loves them. This is clear in 1 John chapter 4. John is saying that again and again and again. Beloved, verses 11 and 12, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If, if God has loved us, then we ought to give of ourselves to others just as he does. Jesus goes on after giving the first and great commandment. He says, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as much as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what John is saying here. If God has set his love on you, then you ought to set your love, enabled by him, on others. Love them the way that he loves them. The fact that we love one another is evidence, John says, that God abides in us. How I love those around me demonstrates God's love in my own heart, that God abides in me. And that, that just makes sense, right? If God is love and he lives in us, then we ought to love. We have to love others. We have to give of ourselves to others to display him and to glorify him. That's not at all to say that that's easy to do. In ourselves, it's impossible. I am the greatest stumbling block to loving others. But God enables. In fact, it is so meant for us to imitate God's love and loving others that Jesus himself says that people will recognize, they will know that we belong to him, that we're his followers by the way that we love. John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So we are to love one another as evidence that we really are following Jesus. And the hope in that, because the reality is, just as I mentioned, I'm the the stumbling block to that. My pride, my selfishness is a stumbling block to loving you well. We stumble over ourselves, but it's not in us It's from God. God enables us to love. He gives us the ability to love. Paul, again, in Romans 5, verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because 
God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. His love has been poured into us. It didn't initiate there. It wasn't there before. He poured it into us through the Holy Spirit, enabling us then to love others. And what should that look like? What should our love for one another look like? Well, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, writes this. And just as a reminder, this is a body text. This is a church body text. It's in nearly every wedding, okay? And so we think of it as a a marriage text. This is a body text. It fits right in between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, which is all about how the church body, we should function, okay? And Paul says this, love is patient and kind, Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is what the body of Christ is displaying the love of Christ ought to look like. Can we imagine? Can we imagine a church functioning this way in display of God's love for us? Patient with each other. Kind to each other. Not kind to segments or sections of the body, to one another. Not envying, not boasting, not being arrogant or rude, not insisting on our own way in the body of Christ, not being irritable or resentful when things don't go our way, not rejoicing at wrong, but rejoicing with the truth, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. We are called to respond with imitation. Imitation of God's love that has been poured out on us. Secondly, we are called to respond with thanksgiving. We ought to respond with thanksgiving. The psalmist writes in Psalm 136, verse 26, Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. Because his steadfast love endures forever, be thankful Praise Him. Worship Him. There is nothing that ought to give us more thankfulness than that truth. That as broken people, sinful people, the God who is other than us, separate from us, would yet love us. Because His steadfast love never fails, be thankful. We ought to be the most thankful people on the planet. That's what the psalmist is saying here, because his steadfast love endures forever. So we respond with imitation and with thanksgiving, and lastly, we respond with hope. Hope. Look again at John, 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us of his spirit. 
We've seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he does not, he, for he who does not love his brother whom he, is not, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We have hope because God first loved us. We don't want to get this backwards. We are not saved because we managed somehow in ourselves to love, even to love God. Or or to say it another way, we're not saved on account of our love. We're saved because God loves us. We love because he first loved us. Verses 15 and 16, simple gospel here. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And the result of that, John says, is confidence. It's hope that we will be with him forever because of him, because he first loved us, that we won't be judged, that we don't need to fear punishment, John says. Because God loves us so much that Christ became our propitiation, that Christ became our sacrifice, that Christ took the judgment for us. That is the hope of gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that if we put our trust in him, responding to his love for us, responding to what he has done, that he loved us first, he will rescue us, he will save us, he will fill us with his love. Love like we have never known. I would encourage you, if you're here and you don't know this God, if you don't know the love of God, and you would want to pray with someone this morning, you would want to talk to someone this morning, our prayer room will be open as we sing in just a few moments. I would encourage you to go there. The Crandalls will be there and would love to meet with you there. But I want to finish our time as we consider God's love with two texts. And just the amazement of God loving us. Consider what Zephaniah says in Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. 
He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. As we go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper, 1 John 4.10 again says this, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God proved his love for us in this way. Christ became sin for us. He was punished for us. That's how God proves his love for us, shows his love for us. That Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed. And we go free. What John is saying in 1 John 4, we, we, don't, we don't have to fear judgment. We're free. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because Christ became sin for us, proving the love of God. We're going to go into a time where we take the bread and we take the cup as we sing about God's love expressed through Jesus towards sinful people. Let's prepare our hearts, considering that it was love that caused his body to be broken. It was love that causes his blood to pour out for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace, Lord. We ask you, Lord, as we prepare to take the bread and the cup, Lord, that you would work in our hearts. That you'd help us, Lord, to believe that you really do love us. Your love is not based on what we have done or what we could ever do, but on who you are, that you are love, that you give of yourself, that you've given your son as an evidence, as the proof that you love us, as a sacrifice for our sins. So help us, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.